Welcome back to episode 2 of Sophia, A History of Belonging. In this episode, I will explore Sophia's two trips to India, which she took in 1902 with her sisters Catherine and Bamba, and again in 1906 to visit her sister Bamba. I will also discuss some more meaty concepts of psychological colonialism and orientalism, which we can apply to Sophia's experiences, maybe even to our own. But before I delve into this episode, I want to share with you some insights about identity from my own family. As I mentioned in the last episode, I'm a third generation British Punjabi. My grandparents were born in Punjab, India, and moved to the UK as teenagers, and my parents were born in the UK, as was I. My parents grew up in Britain during the 1980s. My mum grew up in Gravesend with a large Punjabi population, while my dad grew up in Sheffield, which at the time wasn't very diverse. The way he saw his identity was therefore very different to how my mum saw hers. While my dad was made to feel like an outsider and often ashamed of his race and culture, my mum was surrounded by people from similar backgrounds, and so she didn't find herself paying too much attention to how she may have been othered. Their perceptions of belonging were very different. My dad told me that even now on some days he feels very British, but on others he is reminded that he is still an outsider. It isn't a sense of feeling 50% British and 50% Punjabi all the time. Depending on the spaces you are in and the people you are with, we can find ourselves embracing certain aspects of our identity more. I know for myself, living and studying in Bristol with my friends, I do sometimes feel homesick, and especially homesick for my Indianness, which is more apparent at home. Changing perceptions of belonging based on the places that we're in, the things we see, and the people that we are with, are experiences that throughout this podcast will find that we can share with Sophia. Growing up in England and running in English circles, she never doubted her Englishness and where she belonged. Visiting India for the first time and seeing people who looked more like herself and her family, who remembered the legacy of Ranjit Singh. Her English pride faltered. She found herself at odds with the place she called home. The question of resonating with a British identity is a difficult one, especially for Indians. Our national and ethnic identities seem to be at odds with each other, because the country in which we reside is the country which colonised and pillaged where our people came from. And we have to remember that this history is recent. India only gained independence from Britain in 1947, the year my granddad was born. So in my family, just three generations have passed since Britain relinquished its colonial rule. And bearing this in mind, I want to pose to you a few questions, especially to my British Indian listeners. Do we feel that we have internalised some of the beliefs and perceptions that caused Britain to look down on India? Do we, as British Indians, Ancestors of the colonised living in the country of the coloniser have a responsibility to ourselves to understand this history. These are all questions that I put to you and are all questions that Sophia herself must have asked when she visited India and had her eyes opened to the colonial atrocities committed against India. These are hard questions and often it is easier to accept the reality and to not, you know, see the history as being that deep. We are where we are. But sometimes these questions are hard to ignore when we're faced with the legacies of a colonial past and the racism that persists today as a result of it. In Sophia's case, she faced the reality of a colonial present for the first time when she and her sisters, much to the dismay of the British government, made their way to Punjab to celebrate the ascension of King Edward VII to the British throne. Anyone who was anyone wanted to go to this celebration, the Delhi Durbar. 
it was a massive, massive celebration, which came at great cost to the people of India. The princesses had to request permission to travel to India, however. The Secretary of State advised against this, but the princesses instead found that because they were not banned from visiting India, just urged not to, then they would be able to travel there. Their brothers, on the other hand, had no interest in visiting, which was lucky for the British government, who wouldn't want the heirs of the Sikh kingdom returning to Punjab. Despite the princesses evading the authorities and getting themselves to India, the British offered the princesses no accommodation or diplomatic support, and they were shunned by the British officials. Now this is significant because it was commonplace for officials to act as escorts and throw parties, but no such invitations were extended to Sophia, Bamber and Catherine. Ostracised by the English, the princesses were shown hospitality and warmth by old friends and family of the Dalipsings, who welcomed them into their homes. So here we have three sisters who have grown up in England. Sophia herself has lived her, her recent life in a series of parties and banquets, and she was very much comfortable running in these circles. But the three of them still felt a pull to India. Bamba's pull was most significant. She felt she belonged in India, in Punjab. Sophia not so much, but she still recognised that this was her heritage, this was part of her identity. She wanted to go, she wanted to celebrate. And anybody who was anybody in English high society also wanted to go to India because it was a celebration of the king, of empire. But it was more significant for the Dalip Singh sisters in terms of what they would experience when they were there. So, in Lahore, the sisters were faced with a city that had been altered and shaped by British rule. For example, there was a large new statue erected of Queen Victoria, Empress of India, who had never once visited the country, but there was nothing of the sort to commemorate Ranjit or Dalip Singh. A road that bisected the city of New Lahore, called the Mall, was named after the approach to Buckingham Palace. The British had clearly made their mark on the once heart of the Sikh Empire, and for the first time, Sophia and her sisters saw firsthand what the British had taken from India, and in turn, what the British had taken from their family. In the nine months the sisters stayed in northern India, Sophia sought to learn about her family's history and homeland. Her sisters even remarked that Sophia seemed quite at home, and she even attempted to learn Punjabi. She learned about life in Punjab from the new circles in which she ran. Sikhs, who remembered the heyday of the empire, relished the princess's return to their homeland, showering the sisters with affection. The widow of a pundit Shea Ram, one of Dalip Singh's old servants, wrote to Sophia and implored her to grace her humble town with her noble and auspicious presence, requesting a photograph of Sophia. In August 1903, Sophia travelled home and found herself much changed. She had seen what the British were doing to India. For the first time, she had seen poverty and what her family symbolised and meant to the people of Punjab. This would have been such a life-changing and monumental experience for Sophia and her sisters. Just like today, people look to find themselves in history and search for their own history, where their family comes from, what their ancestors did. Sophia literally stepped into her own ancestry travelling to India, rediscovering her family's place in the world beyond English high society. So it's no surprise that on her return to England, Sophia found herself dissatisfied with socialite life, compelled to be of use to others in society and use her position and privilege for something more than just dog shows. She threw herself into raising awareness and funds for the plight of the Lascars, who were majority Indian workers who worked on the docks unloading cargo from ships. They experienced malnutrition, poor health and inadequate housing, leading to many philanthropic efforts to improve their living conditions, 
including Sophia and previously her father. Eventually, Sophia and two friends built a Lascar safe house in London's Victoria Docks, which would help over 5,000 Lascars over the next five years. In 1906, Sophia was once again summoned to India, but this time by her sister Bamba, who had stayed behind in 1903. Sophia kept a diary of this journey to India, which has informed much of my understanding of how Sophia perceived her Indian identity, and how this second voyage to India opened her eyes to the Indian independence movement and pushed her towards the suffragette cause. Bamba and Sophia did often clash about their views on this second trip. Bamba loathed Britain, and she felt that she belonged in India even adopting Indian dress. By contrast, Sophia did not feel like she was Indian in the way that her sister did. She often defended the British and commented on the kindness and goodness of her English friends back home. It's striking then, that on her voyage back home to England in 1907, she wrote in her diary, Oh you wicked English, how I long for your downfall, how I loathe you all. I am your deadly enemy from hereafter. Ah, India, awake and free yourself. I am afraid this is the end of all hope. This was after she had been informed that militant nationalist and good friend to Sophia, Lala Lajput Rai, had been arrested. So, what happened on this trip to India to make Sophia condemn the British in this way? Condemn a place that she called home, that she was so open and happy to embrace and to feel like she belonged? Talks of independence were brewing and nationalist sentiment was rising in India. In February 1907, students in Lahore walked out of classes and erupted in protest after the editor and proprietor of a series of articles condemning the British were charged with sedition and imprisoned. Sophia was there, she remarked in the event in her diary. My blood was up and I said quite loud, yes, shame on the British, as quoted in her diary. Later that month, Sophia and Bamba attended a lecture by Kopal Krishna Gokhale, a member of the Indian National Congress, the nationalist political party that Gandhi later joined. The princesses were seated in the reserved section for special guests, and Sophia remarked that the speaker was a very wise man after hearing his speech which called for Indian independence in order to dissipate the growing tensions. Soon after, it was rumoured that militant nationalist and leading figure in the INC, Lala Lajput Rai, had arrived in Punjab. Sophia and Bamba went to hear Lajput Rai speak with Gokhale in the university's main auditorium. The event had sparked attention from the authorities, and the police were out in great numbers. Sophia was enthralled by Lajput Rai. After the speech, he turned to Bamba and Sophia and thanked them, referring to them as the cubs of the lion. Now this revolutionises Sophia and completely changes everything. She has her eyes opened and ultimately it changes her perspective on herself and her perspective on the world. There are many things that we can unpick from this second trip to India. Perceptions of national identity are important here. Because while Sophia may not have relinquished her British identity the way that her sister did, she certainly did experience a kind of identity crisis. She was no longer satisfied with socialite life, needing a higher purpose to use her privilege for something worthwhile. She was at home in Britain, but at odds with what the British establishment stood for and what they were doing, and had done to India. She embodies many of the things that British Indians have to grapple with, even today, the reality that the place they called home pillaged a place that they could have called home and was home to their family. Even though Sophia never stopped referring to Britain as home and never saw India as home, it is still significant for her to embrace India as part of her identity because this was so overtly suppressed in Britain. The sisters were brought up by governesses who taught them to be civilised young English ladies, especially once their parents had died. 
Sophia's coming out was considered to be a great milestone by Queen Victoria and Sophia herself, who found her place in English society. She and her sisters literally had to fight and evade the authorities to travel to India. The British authorities did not want the Dalip Singhs to return to a politically turbulent Punjab and rouse nationalist sentiment even further. When they were in India, they faced a frosty reception by British officials. In fact, a letter to Lord Nollies from Dunlop Smith in 1907 remarked on Bamba's adoption of Indian dress when she and Sophia attended a garden party to meet the Lord and Lady Curzon, calling the Oriental costume distinctly improper. The British authorities did not like the idea of the Dalip Singhs embracing their Indianness. So it was an act of rebellion for Sophia to embrace her Indianness in whatever capacity she could, given that she was praised for being thoroughly English. It was exactly what the British authorities did not want. They had Dalip Singh brought up and married off in England for a reason. It was never their intention for his children to return to Punjab and sympathise with independence. So this is really interesting and it makes me think of the concept of psychological colonialism, which is a term that I came across while doing research for this episode. Satnam Sanghera's book, Empire Land, explores the impact of imperialism on Britain today and made an interesting point about how the ancestors of those who were colonised can experience being psychologically colonised, which basically means internalising colonialist views or sentiments even after the decolonization process. This can be comparable with concepts like internalised misogyny, where girls and women can internalise sexist or misogynistic beliefs, or internalised homophobia. Sanghera explains his own psychological colonialism as viewing his Indian heritage through patronising Western eyes. The concept of psychological colonialism is bound up with internalising an Orientalist view. Orientalism was a term coined by Edward Said in 1978 in his book of the same name, which is essentially a frame of mind which views the non-Western world as inferior, as the other, and crucially, Orientalism depends on the West, not on the Orient, or the non-West. These Orientalist views about the non-Western world are entirely at the whim of the West, limiting the agency of the Orient. Orientalism justified imperialism. Orientalist views towards the non-Western world were patronising. The gaze of the Western world looking down on Africa and Asia is a modern-day manifestation of Orientalism. This was what Sanghera drew on. Growing up in Britain and under a British education system, he remarked how he had in many ways been encouraged to view the non-Western world through this patronising gaze. And in writing and researching his book, he wrote that in embarking on this project, I'm making an effort to decolonise myself, exploring how imperialism shaped the psychology of the colonised and the children of the colonised. It's a pretty meaty concept to get our heads around, but we can apply this to ourselves and ask how we may have been psychologically colonised, whether we are British or British Indians or any other national identity, really. Do we all, on some level, have to undertake a process of decolonising our psychology and our minds in order to reconcile with our identity? Sophia wasn't the only one who learned to embrace her Indianness later in life. Nehru, who would become Prime Minister of India when it gained independence in 1947, was educated at Harrow in Cambridge, and once remarked, I was perhaps more an Englishman than an Indian, and embraced his heritage later in life. Dalip Singh himself was taken from his home in Punjab and Anglicanised, but later in life rebelled and embraced Sikhism once again. 
While it is difficult for us to know just how much Sophia employed a Western gaze onto India, we can certainly understand how torn she felt about her British identity when she started to understand the implications the British Empire had on India and her own identity as a Punjabi princess as well as an English woman. Maybe you haven't given the concept of psychological colonialism much thought before, but bearing the experiences of Sophia in mind and her identity awakening, I want you to think of a time you yourself may have felt psychologically colonised. Maybe you were ashamed or embarrassed about one aspect of your identity. And if so, did you have an identity awakening? Was this achieved through going on a trip, learning about your heritage, or hearing stories from your family? For those of you who did, how important was this for you? In the next episode, we will bear all of this in mind as we explore Sophia's role as a suffragette and how her identity awakening in India played a key role in Sophia's political activity. I'll also be speaking with Poppy Sal, author of the children's book Remembering Sophia, where we pull together all that I've touched upon in these episodes. Thank you so much for listening to episode two of Sophia, A History of Belonging. I hope this episode made you think about identity a little bit more, about Sophia's and maybe even your own. Head over to our Instagram where you can find a recap of today's episode and also a list of further readings. And I will see you next time for the third and final episode of Sophia, A History of Belonging.